Welcome. You're listening to Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the podcast that pulls back the curtains in your mind. We like to shed a little light on why you're thinking what you're thinking. Everyone has a choice in life, in what and how they think. Together, we're going to focus on high-functioning habits. There is no more time to live with any sort of regret. Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the inspirational podcast for the inspired. Let's get into today's show with your host, Shelley R. Shearer. Morning, everyone. Shelley Shearer here, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much to all my new uh, listeners and my new subscribers. It is greatly appreciated, and I am just grateful that you are here with this journey with me. I want to talk today about accountability. Last week we talked about being on purpose and having a purpose-driven life and a purpose-driven day, really. Uh, the little things. And today I want to talk about accountability in, in, in a very similar manner. Now, a friend of mine made a comment that my podcasts are too long, that I really should learn to just get my point across in a more concise manner. We're going to work on that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I have tried for a year, just so you know. If you wondered if I have tried to keep these shorter in the past, I have. But I seem to just have this 25 to 35 minute, I get on a topic, that's what I have to say and I'm done. That's why I only podcast once a week. But I promise you in 2020, I will keep that more forefront in my mind, a few less segues and uh, a little less battering you over the head with uh, repeatedness as she uh, actually, 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 exactly how she commented on it. Don't beat us over the head with the information. I said, okay, I'll do my best. I love feedback. I love it from my friends. I love it from my listeners. Uh, it's how we grow as people. I've always been a big believer in mentorship. And if you cannot take constructive criticism and you cannot take advice, you are really missing out a lot in life. Now, I'm going to assume that if you are listening to this and you found me, you are probably willing to let that limiting behavior go. Those bad habits go, those limiting beliefs go, because you're looking for a new path. You're looking to be more open-minded. Otherwise, really, why would you listen to this podcast, I guess is kind of my point, because it's what I teach and it's what I, it's what I coach here. Now, I was reading this book called The Millionaire Fastlane by MG DeMarco. <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. It was recommended to me by one of my business coaches back in the fall. I was at a three-day course and he said, you know what, this should be on your reading list. And I've been a few months getting to it. I had other things that were really what I felt was just more important and pertinent to my journey and my learning. Uh, and I was ready for this one now. I mentioned it to my husband when I first started and he looked right at me skeptically, skeptically and said, yeah, there's no easy street, honey. And I'm like, oh, I know. I don't think that's what the book's about. But it's interesting. I start because my coach never in a million years would have recommended something like this that was like that. Because he, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Colin Sprake is really big. He teaches business coaching and he's very big about business with heart and honesty and hard work and having good habits. You know, he, he teaches in business what I sort of teach in life and it just wouldn't have been his recommendation. However, I listened to the first, you know, prologue and the first chapter and I was thinking, okay, we've got a lot of talk about being young and owning a Lamborghini and I'm seeing a lot of these behaviors or hearing and I'm thinking maybe this is a weirdo get rich. Nope. He gets to chapter two. It's very clear that the title of the book is a bit of a hook. He wanted to be very transparent in what had happened to change his mind and in this particular case seeing a Lamborghini as a teenager uh, from some and someone driving it that was young enough to enjoy it that you know that wasn't 80 um, uh, changed his life changed his perspective and changed his life so I stuck with it and that I, I was glad I did because now we're getting to the good part and he talks a lot about accountability 
And he puts people kind of in three categories. And the category I just want to talk about right now is called the sidewalkers. And he refers to those people, and it does not matter if they are poor or wealthy. And I, I guess maybe wealthy is not the right word. If they are making $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year, he lumps them into this particular group because they are the people that have this mindset. They live beyond their means, so it doesn't matter if you make 20 bucks and you spend 30, or you make 200,000 and you and you make 300,000, uh, spend 300,000, you're in the same predicament. You're in the same self-destructive mindset, a mindset of entitlement, not owning up to uh, your mistakes, not owning to what you're attracting in your life. He speaks a lot about that as well. Uh, I'm gonna expand upon that a little bit. But the chapter I'm in right now, and I'm like I said, I'm just starting the book, is this, this he's talking about money and these sidewalkers and really hammering home what drives us in our society. The social media, um, I don't know, it's almost like it's a life unto itself. People, our young people are out there in our so, that social media looking for, you know, um, looking to be validated, looking to live, you know, be better than the Joneses next door. There, you know, it's an old expression from when I was a kid. And it's very, very self-destructive. And it's also an amazing way of, I hate to get into like, I know I, maybe I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist on this one, but it's also how you are so easily controlled by governments, big corporations and that sort of thing, because you buy into their message. You buy into, you know, this is how Enron was able to be Enron uh, back in the, when were they, the 90s? Uh, and, and, and take people for all that money. This is how snake oil salesmen, salesmen actually make a living and how grifters and con artists manage to prey on the weak. Because we don't do due diligence. We think there is an easy street and there's not. No, I'm not going to lie and tell you that no one ever wins the lottery. Yes, they do. But that's not what you should be basing your life on. Having a life that is decided by you and then instigating habits that support that is really, really crucial to success. So last week we spoke about being on purpose, uh, not only with your life, so that if you are not one of those people that is able just to walk away from a nine to five job in order to quote unquote, find your purpose in life and get all woo woo, uh, because you would lose your home and your family would kill you, then there are ways to still be on purpose every day and working towards what you need to work towards incrementally. And finances, people, really is about increment and then large scale gains. Now, I think I probably mentioned this before, but I am fortunate. I was raised in a gener uh, raised by parents that although the generation didn't talk about money, my parents did. We were taught it, we were made to respect it. Uh, and one of the examples my father used to make us do is we lived on 70% of what we made. So we were taught to give 10% to charity in the church, to give back, save 10%, and then live 10% below that. Okay. Uh, once you get used to that, and I taught my son to do it with jars when he was little. He had these three little canning jars on his, on his, uh, on his table, and he got his dollar, and 10, 10, and 10 went in there, and he had the 70 cents to spend. And then the 10 in the other jar, the, the non-described jar, was for him to save a little bit if he wanted a bigger item. That did not mean he touched the savings portion necessarily on a regular basis, but that the third 10% he did. So he was always taught to live at 70%. And I got to say, I've got a son that's 
little bit of a cheapskate sometimes, but he actually has a really good head on his uh, on his shoulders about money. Does that mean we don't we make mis- don't make mistakes? No, it doesn't mean that. I was raised with this knowledge. Unfortunately, with my OCDness, when I was younger, I would I penny pinched about stupid stuff. I over overanalyzed to way too much. When I got older and had good income and I didn't worry about whether I could afford to buy something at the grocery store because I never did, uh, I, lo- I lost my way a little bit. Um, my husband's pathetic with money and I got a little bit feeling a bit entitled at one point in our life and feeling a little bit like, you know, why not me? And I started behaving more like him instead of him behaving more like me. We got ourselves into a situation. It wasn't very drastic, luckily, and... You know, I had to have a little bit of a turnaround. So perfection is not what we're looking for here. And even though I may be preaching it, uh, it doesn't and teaching it doesn't mean I've always lived it. I've made mistakes, and I'm here to share those with you, and hopefully give you something to think about. So when I was 18, I managed to get my first credit card in debt for $500. My father saw this open statement in my bedroom and on my desk, and t- made me take my car off the road till it was paid off. I learned the lesson very young. Because we had a religious background, I learned about tithing very young. And I don't consider that a sacrifice. Even in my poorest moments, I always tithe 10%. I actually have a belief system that it's not my money. That may not necessarily be true or real for the rest of you, but I was raised with that scriptural belief, you know, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, give unto God what is God's. So I pay my taxes and I don't resent them. I have paved roads and school and medical. Is it perfect? Not even by a long shot. Uh, should more responsibility be taken? Yes, but that's actually going to play in a little bit to what we talk about today and why things get to be such a mess with our governments, because it's still run by people who aren't taking responsibility for their actions. Uh, So this, when I talk about these types of things, this is prevalent in our society, and it is how, without sounding like a conspiracy theorist, conspiracy theorist, how countries and populations are controlled because we buy into this media stuff that is shoved down our throats all the time, that we deserve it, that we're entitled to it. And quite honestly, I'm here to just tell you bluntly, no, you're not. You're absolutely not. Are you entitled to be happy and have what you want? You betcha you are. You gotta work for it, and if you wanna keep it, you better have good habits, okay? So now that we're over that little black and white thing, now let's talk about you know, how this plays out. I'm reading a new book called The Millionaire Fast Lane, and it's by someone named DeBarco. He is a funny little guy, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, and he tells a pretty funny story. And he made it very clear at the end of the first chapter that the title of the book was a bit of a marketing hook. He needed people to come in and listen to his message. And his message in the first chapter really hit home for me. The fact that he talks about sidewalkers, and it doesn't matter whether they're making 30000 or 300000 the mentality of these types of people is always the same. They spend more than they earn, they have payments on everything, they have debt, they don't have savings, they don't truly uh, understand value, and they're keeping up with the Joneses. They buy into the three easy payments. Um, so, like I say, remember, it doesn't matter whether it's your poverty or making a you know really, really good three uh, um, three-figure salary, if the mentality is there, wealth is hard to build. This entitled, I deserve it without working for it mentality. 
And like I said, I was raised without that mentality, so I'm very fortunate. Doesn't mean it's been perfect my whole life, but I have seen it play out in my 30 years in finance over and over and over again. And you know, money is right up there in the first, the top three things that cause divorce in life. It's the biggest stressor. And the reason I'm talking about it today is because it's January, when money actually is the big, one of the biggest stressors on people's minds right now, because the credit card bills have all come in from everyone overspending at Christmas. You know, the expectation they, they feel is out there for what they, how they have to look with the gifts they give or buying into other people's expectations, which take my word for it, I've had to retrain numerous family members on that one over the years. It's like, hey, especially once I got sick and we, we had to really change things, I can't afford this. And this, so please quit, do not expect me to show up in order to impress you with things I can't afford. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that everything is gauged by the money. I come from a family that's a little bit like that because later in life, like in my teenage years on, later teenage years onward, when my sister was quite a bit younger, our home looked much more affluent. She didn't, but she's four years younger. She didn't see what it took to get there necessarily. So she's always lived with, with, okay? Whereas I do clearly remember when McDonald's was a treat for, for dinner on Sunday after church and the struggles my dad had as well as I've asked those questions. You know, what happened in the past? My father went bankrupt at one point when he was younger uh, before he got into his trucking business. His trucking business didn't even start till he was 40 and it's what built, our fa built the family wealth. So there is a pathway, but there is a mentality that goes with it. And this is what this DeMarco fellow is talking about. Being someone that lives in this constant need for stuff and for putting up an appearance. There's a, a, a see if I say this right, there is a, uh, a phrase, and I think I've said it before, I'm sure I have, that my current coach uses a lot. And he talks about, uh, what, how does he put it? If you're out there, you're just living your life or you're remembering things or you're doing things or you're thinking, I think this, when you're thinking what other think, people might be thinking about you, that's just you thinking that. Yeah, that's how he says it. And you know, if you could own that statement, it would go a long way in your life. It would really help you to understand that it's just your perception. It's just your version of what's going on. And why do you feel the need that other people see you in a certain light? don't take me wrong I've been there and everyone's little things are different I was raised to have appropriate behavior I know I say that with a lot of sarcasm because it's it's funny how am I going to explain this when I read books and you talk about high society and people that are born into extreme wealth so not my life but there is an appropriateness and there's you know there get, you get a lot of back uh, lash about people gossiping about the blue bloods and the white collars and the, 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 you know, the what's appropriate and the proper manners and what you do and don't do. You know, that can exist in many people's backgrounds coming from different places. For me, with my religious background, that appropriate behavior was all kind of biblically tied. The do's and don'ts. Um, my mother is a bit of a lady, so, you know, the manners and everything were there. My dad's got a great aunt education. He's a trucker. Not so much, uh, but but he was in my life. But I'm just talking when he was younger. So they do have those old-fashioned values, but they were not. They didn't have the money-appropriate values. But we still had this huge need to be appropriate growing up. A little bit of you know some of it just boiled down to be seen and not heard as children, and but for me a lot of it was religious. 
So it's interesting if you could take a look at your life and see what's, what came from your past that drives whatever you think about and how you do things and step back from it and try and remember every time you have that memory or you give some thought to what's going on around you, it's just you thinking it. So if you can maybe let go of being so personally plugged into outcome, and when I say outcome, that's a really big topic, not only in your life, but in how other people perceive you. Be your own person. And I know that's this, this podcast could go off in a whole nother direction, but let's keep it focused on accountability. So he talks a lot about the money thing, which I just have as well, but he uses this great example of what happens to us in life and how we attract it so much of the time. And now it's a little bit of law of attraction. But for me, when I live in North America and we're in countries now that do a whole lot of suing everybody for everything else and blame, oh, we just love to blame. So two examples I'm going to give you, one from the from his book and one what happened in my own house three days ago with my own students, my own kids in this house. He talked about a girlfriend that he had, uh, a friend, who they got together for lunch and she was saying how she had identity theft. She had heard, uh, th- her identity had been stolen and she's, excuse my French, bitching and complaining. And so he asked her, you know, what happened? What caused it? And she's like, well, my purse was stolen. And he's like, uh-huh. And what preceded that? well, I don't know. Well, where were you? I was in a restaurant. Where was your purse hanging on the back of my chair? And he just sat and looked at her till she got it. Oh, he goes, exactly. What part did you play in your identity being stolen? Because she wasn't owning that at all. But there is a lot of things that happen in our lives that if we took three steps back and if your attitude is always accountability and I need to own it, I will bet you dollars to donuts that at least 70 to 80% of the time you had a thought action or, um, or thought an action that probably just suffices right there that helped precipitate or even cause what happened to you. And it's a really tough thing for this generation or, uh, uh, you know, North America with our attitudes of blame the other guy. It is prevalent in both Canada and United States. I do notice a little difference. Canadians, we laugh a little bit at the Americans with their suing everybody thing, but there's lots of people in my country that have that same mentality. You get in a car accident, sue ICBC, and you'll get this big, you know, get this big thing of money and and, and you're set. Uh, yeah, no, that's not how we want to create wealth in our lives. We do not want to give up our health. We do not want to have a loved one die. Uh, we do not buy lottery tickets. These things are all the out in the ethernet of chance. We want our own habits to be consistent and smart. Uh, down in the States, I, I read an article once about the difference between Canada and United States. And one of the very, very, I find very valid points and sort of the top 10 things is the attitude of inclusiveness. Americans right down to their constitution are about individual rights, hence the right to bear arms and representation. And, and just so much of their mentality is about the individual. In Canada, overall, I'm not saying this is, but just broad stroke, we're an inclusive nation. We're about the greater good of the greater whole, which is why we're so much more socialistic than the United States. You know, um, universal health care, that sort of thing. Uh, Is it perfect? No, no, it's not. Is it one of the best systems on the planet? Yes, yes, it is. People always complain about legal systems in North America. Is it flawed? Yes, but it's the best we've got until we, until we, until we improve it. So those types of fundamental differences, um, be aware of them and how your, how your thinking uh, works. One is not right compared to the other. I'm just saying, be aware 
of sort of where some of your general attitudes come from. And I thought that particular point in this article was very interesting because I stood back and thought about it and I thought, that's very true. Actually, that's why Canadians always, always joked about, about how polite we are uh, because that inclusiveness is a mindset we are raised with from birth versus the Constitution in the United States that's all about my rights, my individuality, my rights. It's, so right out of the gate, there's, a, there's almost a little bit of a, I'm not going to use the word flaw, but there is a fundamental belief system in the United States that has driven poor behavior. The, I mean, one of the most amazing nations on the planet. We're just so fortunate in countries we live in in North America. And we're driving a behavior of victim because the me, me, me attitude is so destructive. And it's, you know, it's just, it's tearing our society apart. Things have to change. And we wonder why when people from other countries come into our country and we feel, quote unquote, they take advantage, we let them. I've always, uh, you know, people sometimes will say I'm racist. I have a girlfriend. She's the only person in my life that will say this. And she's so mistaken. It's not even funny. Um, but she always jokes. She says, don't mind your Annie Shelley. She's a bit racist. No, I'm not. But it doesn't make me blind to when abuse is done by, by immigrants come into our country. But I have never blamed the immigrant. That's why I'm not racist about it. I blame the government for allowing us to have loopholes in our system that allow people to take advantage of. Do you see the vast difference in that way of thinking? That way of thinking? You need to consider changing some of that in your own life. You know, if you're going to leave your purse on the back of a chair, there's a good chance someone's going to steal it. You know, I've been going to Vegas for a long, long time. It was a lesson I learned you know, very early, 15 years ago. And it was really cool. These little purse things came out that hung on the edge of the table. So I could put it right by my hip, hang my purse on it, and wasn't in my lap, wasn't on the table, and it wasn't hanging behind my chair. And that way I could tuck it right up against my body. And it's in front of me. So there's no one, someone would have to literally reach into my lap to get my purse or get anything out of it. So you need to own those types of things. Uh, Going back to, and I'm sorry, I've got to be really careful here because I had to redo this podcast once or twice for a couple technical reasons and now I can't remember what I have and haven't said. But him talking about the sidewalkers, about the entitlement and the, the mentality is why people don't build true wealth. Now, like I said, it's January, a lot of debt on people's plates. What would you like to change in 2020? Besides last week talking about having purpose, if you take accountability for your actions and can step back from the view screen that you would are probably sometimes too close, you might see a lot of extraneous or subtext uh, that would help you in managing a situation and owning part of it. Money is a tool. If you are an unhappy poor person, you're probably going to be an unhappy rich person. Money doesn't buy happiness. Yes, it makes life a lot easier, but there's a reason there's a statistic that people that win the lottery who aren't good with money and like weren't when they didn't have money, they lose the fortune within five years. And I hate to break this to you, but that, that percentage is astronomical, like in the 80s percent. So if you cannot manage your life now, winning the lottery is not, will, not, will change it for a small period of time and then there are people that literally kill themselves because once they lose it all and they're back in the gutter again, they're just so forlorn and so, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, well, just mad at themselves, but that's not the word I'm looking for. You know what I'm saying? That they end up taking their own lives. 
And that is a terrible, terrible thing. So how about in whatever circumstance you're in, right at this moment, you learn to manage your life and own it. So get rich, get rich quick schemes, three easy payments. I deserve this. Do those things come out of your mouth on a regular basis? I was, you know, raised quite frugally in a lot of ways, uh, taught to respect money. I uh, was not taught like a lot of scriptural people, religious people do that money was dirty. And I thank God for that, that my father did not train me that money was a dirty thing. Man, there's a lot of people out there that think that just like people think sex is bad, you know? Um, and so they go into marriage and they have all these hangups. Those are hangups that you need to overcome. So money is not dirty. It is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Be very clear on how that scripture is worded. And there's a reason that's in the Bible. You know, you don't need to believe and have a belief in God to understand the concept of that parable. Okay. There's a reason the Bible says thing, things like it is easier for, um, is it a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven? Really what that means is it is highly unlikely that if you do not know how to handle the money, that you will not be a happy rich person. To whom much is given, much is expected. A lot of these old-fashioned sayings need to take some new meaning for us in this new generation. We've always sort of relate them to old-fashioned values, biblical values, and you know, our society doesn't quite work that way anymore. We're more into spirituality now than we are actually into quote-unquote Christianity. And I say, you know, have whatever belief system you want when it comes to that spirituality stuff. But the, the attitudes of attracting, taking responsibility, those things really don't change. So maybe think of these old fashioned sayings and see if you can find a slightly different way to relate them to your life. Because that is how wealth is created, passed on generation to generation, when it is respected and managed and is not the, the root of your happiness, it is just a tool. So if you want to be wealthy, go learn to be wealthy. There are books out there. There are things you can do. There are lessons. Go learn them. My job is simply to open your mind to accountability and to take those first baby steps of changing your attitude about your life. So if you're living in victim a lot, if you're always broke, if you are blaming the world, these are some things that need to change in your life. So here's the other example. I'm in my office and I'm listening to my three kids. They're out in the... Um, in the kitchen nattering and I hear the following and excuse me I'm gonna I'm gonna use a swear word I hear yeah such a dick move and I'm thinking okay who are they angry at yeah that instructor he was just such a dick and that was just such a dick move so I'm listening wondering what happened now these two kids actually only one of them lives with me the other one's the best friend across the street but they go to flight school together well apparently one of the kids got hit with a $50 fine for not showing up to class without notice and he was really upset about this. And so I listened for a little bit and I thought, nope, that attitude needs to change right now. So I walked out and I just said, okay guys, so what's going on? Who's the dick? <laughs> and they gave me the quickly the story. I said, okay, so what you're telling me is that your school paid for a flight instructor, it's a business, to be available for you at a certain time and you just didn't show. You showed no respect for his time or the money. They looked at me. And my, my girl looked at me and says, but mom, it wasn't his fault. Okay, wait for it. This time. <laughs> that said it all to me right there. So I said, oh, really? This time? So this has happened before. 
And then they both look sheepish and like, well, yeah, you, you know. So something in my students, or one of the students, thinks it's okay just to not show up for school when he doesn't want to. And it's like, and I was thinking, well, what, where are you showing respect here? So I had to shut that down right away from them because I can't have them going through life with that blame attitude. I said, this isn't the reason that you missed this one time that you got charged the 50 bucks. It's the three or four times that you've already done it. You have not listened to them when they've given you verbal warnings and now they're hitting your pocketbook. And you have to understand that it is not their fault what happened to you. So even taking it a step further, he got chastised because this is a continuing behavior of his. But even the fact that it wasn't his fault this time, in no way did that give him the right to make that the school's problem. And right there is where we struggle as a society. That right there. When it's not even technically our fault, but we don't want to own it. So whose fault is it? Paying it forward, the blame going forward is not the answer. Now, let's take a step back. And I didn't find out the details, but I also know some things about this person personally. Did you forget to fill your tank up with gas? Did you forget to put oil in your gas? Were you doing something that had someone clip you and give you a little rear ender? Where in this story can you step back, look at it through a new perspective and understand that you had a part to play in something you quote unquote didn't think was your fault? Ownership of your behavior completely. And even if, like you say, totally wasn't your fault. I was T-boned years ago, me personally, and I had to be at Bell Canada. There was no one to back me up. It was a very, very poor business decision on their part to have someone quote unquote irreplaceable. Nobody's irreplaceable. Please hope you all understand that. Um, I tend to have quite enlightened listeners. So, uh, but if you have never heard that before, own it. Uh, no one's irreplaceable, but they put me in a position where I was and I warned them for like two years, guys, this isn't safe. If I got hit by a bus tomorrow, quote unquote, well, they were willing to pay for me to be there and joke upon joke, two years or three years in, I got hit by a bus, literally, a big van full of people, T-boned. And I had to get into work. I had to find ways to get there, get the work done, uh, even though I was quite badly hurt with my back and had to be in a lot of rehab for a number of months. But under no circumstances, that accident wasn't my fault. Someone ran right through a red stoplight. But at what point was my misfortune the, the client, the business that I worked for, how was that their misfortune? I had to own that. It was my misfortune. They were luckily because I owned it and didn't play victim. They were very understanding and were very supportive and helped me get through it as best I could. Was allowed to work at home at times, got me a VPN. We really had to work around it because I had to be in therapy for a couple of months. I had hurt my lower back. I was driving quite bad and my husband suffered a very severe concussion and it wasn't his first and we had big fallout from that, uh, like disability fallout type idea that hit him a few months later. And in our marriage, we had to deal with all these things. There is no place for me making someone else's world to blame that wasn't to blame for, for what happened to me. And I needed to correct that with the kids right out of the gate because these kind of attitudes, we get them when we get them in our heads when we're younger. And then we go through life with that pointing, finger pointing, victim mentality that it's somebody else, the man's fault. Well, I live in a country that also borders on a country that elects our 
officials. So the man, quote unquote, are people that we put into power. And only we have the power to get them out of there. But we don't own that. We just want to sit in our armchairs and bitch and complain. Okay? Little hard subject. And I'm not, and I'm going to be honest with you something else. One of my friends told me my podcasts are too long and I should start trying to keep them at about 10 minutes. Failed miserably again today. I don't know what it is with me in 30 minutes. I promise we're going to try in 2020. Get a topic. See if I can get all the salient points out in 10 minutes. And leave it at that. I'm going to try. Have a great day, everyone. Catch you on the flip side. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Stay connected with us directly through livingwellwithshell.com. You can also join the discussion on Twitter at livingwellwithshell and Instagram at www.instagram.com slash livingwellwithshell. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through Shelley at livingwellwithshell.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Thank you. And remember, willpower will only get you so far if you don't have a plan. <laughs>